Let's Everything broken. There's nothing quite like it, is there? It's a full contact sport. So we're going to talk about this weekend. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, but probably from an angle that you haven't looked at it before. Maybe you have. But uh, we're in our series called Awkward Family, and um, we're talking about how the fact that family can be awkward. And we talked about the awkward family of Jesus last weekend. Uh, and if you missed that one, it's, it is online. You go to lifechurchwi.com and download that or watch the, listen to the podcast or watch the video cast of that. But this week we're talking about parenthood. Next weekend we're going to talk about sibling rivalries. I've got some great stories from my childhood. Broken arms, black eyes, locking your little brother in an in a army locker trunk. And he survives. We're going to talk about that next weekend, so I hope you'll be back for that. And then we're going to end our series talking about marriage uh, the last weekend of this, of this series of this month. But today we're talking about parenthood. And here's what I know about parenting. I'm going to give you two statements. They're not going to be on the screen, but I just kind of set everything up. One is that all parents want to be successful at parenting. I don't know any parent that goes, I really want to be a bad parent. I really want to just really mess my kid's life up and just screw everything up. That's, that's my goal is that I have this most dysfunctional child on the planet. Nobody does. And, 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 but the problem is, is that what does it mean to be a successful parent? What does that really mean? What does that look like? I mean, you don't get a, a book, an instruction manual. You, you get a thicker instruction manual on your car uh, that you never read because you leave it in the glove box and give it to the next person you're going to sell it to uh, than you do on parenting. 
And, uh, and so, and everybody's got opinions. And, and, and every parent that you talk to, they'll talk to you at times about their victories and they'll talk to you about their dismal failures. They'll talk to you about their regrets and they'll talk to you about their successes, if they're really honest. And we all have got them. Concerns, regrets, inabilities, uh, deficiencies that we feel like we have. Uh, my kid's the only one that's ever dealing with this, et cetera, et cetera. The second statement is that all parents want their children to be successful. So all parents want to be successful at parenting, and every parent wants their child to be successful. So here's the problem. What is success? And whatever that is, how do you achieve it? I'm going to give you something. Uh, Lifeway Research did a survey uh, and, uh, among evangelical families and uh, Christian families in America, 1,200 adults with children who, with, 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 who had children 18 years of age and younger, uh, and they asked them about the role of faith in parenting. Here were some of the responses. According to the study, 25% of the definitions of successful parenting included children having good values. 25% defined successful parenting as their children being happy adults. 22% said they would be successful parents if their kids found success in life. Now, we don't really know what success is, but anyhow. But the parents in this survey did not see the Bible as a key tool to help their children become successful or to help them be successful parents. 14%, these are of Christian families, of Christian parents, uh, of the parents surveyed, equated success with their child having a faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ. 29% said it was not an important value to them. This isn't like people, quote-unquote, outside the church. This is inside the church. So, there are many, 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 many definitions of what successful parenting is. I'm going to give you what the Bible's version of successful parenting is. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, because you really don't care what I think or what some survey says or, you know, or whatever. But what does the Bible say? And this is going to be on the screen. That your child makes the will of God the greatest ambition of their life. According to Scripture, success in raising a child is that the child that you raise makes the will of God the greatest ambition for their life. Now, let me explain that just for a second. And, and just so you can, because you go, yeah, yeah, you're a pastor. This is church. You're, you're going to say that. That's kind of like the Jesus answer. But here's the reality. If God, if the Bible is true, let's just believe that it is for a second that it's true. If the Bible's true, and if children are a blessing from God, and if God loves our children even more so than we do, and he cares about them even more so than we do, then whatever his will is for their life, since he ultimately created them, because we believe that, that life doesn't come from a man and a woman, it's given by God, that God is the author and the finisher of life. That's what he says of himself. That we're a part of that process, but ultimately it is a God connection. So if God's the author and the finisher of life, if, God, uh, if children are a blessing from the Lord, and if God loves our children even more than we do, then his will, his desire for their life, would be the absolute highest, best use of their life and highest, best experience for them this side of eternity. Now again, we don't get to see life from a 360 degree view the way God does. We just get to see life here and now. And we really don't understand how our lives, our kids' lives, our families' lives, and all the complexities and really all the questions that we have. The older that you get, the more questions that you have. How those things fit into the eschaton of time and how God's ultimately going to use those things. 
So we have to trust God, or we don't. We can just trust ourselves. But, but the Bible says that your child, their will, the will of God becomes the greatest, the, the greatest ambition for their life is ultimate success. What that means for me is, is as I'm raising two daughters, Tammy and I are, uh, as we're doing that, is that the deal is, is that God knows best. God spoke them into existence. God blessed us and brought them into our lives. And our responsibility is to point and, and, and to help them make the will of God their greatest ambition, whether that's for them to be a school teacher, whether that's for them to be a, a stay-at-home mom, whether that's for them to be a missionary, that's for them to be a doctor, that's for them to, to be a politician, that's for them to be a, 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 you know, work as a barista at Starbucks, whatever it is, that's it. And I can tell you that the prayer that I pray for my girls regularly is God let your will be their greatest ambition. Whatever that is. Because I know that when they're in the center of God's will, God will work everything else out. When they're in the center of God's will, it will work everything else. I don't pray, God, keep them close. I don't pray, God, send them far away. <laughs> Not every day. I, I, don't, I don't pray to all of that. I just pray, God, let your will be their greatest ambition for their life. But here's the next statement I want to give you. You can't determine success for your children. You can just equip them to be successful. You can't determine the will of God. You can't make them follow the will of God. All you can do as a parent is to equip them to be successful in that area. So if success is your child makes the, makes the will of God the greatest ambition for their life, you have to understand that you can't make them do that. You can only equip them to do that. And that's where we pick up this parable that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 15, verse number 11 through verse 24. Jesus continued and said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two of them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Verse 14. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, he had been, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. And he set himself, excuse me, he sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Very hungry. Uh, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food? Here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. Look at this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead is now alive again. And he was lost is now found. So they began to celebrate. And this is a parable. This didn't really happen. Jesus is teaching this. Actually, this is the third uh, in this particular passage of scripture, Jesus talks about three things. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the lost son. So he's talking about the lostness of humanity. And a parable basically is this. It's a story with a meaning. Anytime you have a story with a meaning, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a parable. And Jesus uses this as a way to communicate. So what's the meaning? Well, first of all, the father in this story represents God. 
We know that. And this is the story of the prodigal. If you've heard, the, this is the prodigal son story. So, and, and, and what I, let me stop right here. What I love about Scripture is it's so multifaceted. You can look at it in 60 different ways and get 60 different downloads. Uh, it, it's just fascinating. And we look at this typically from a linear perspective of a child that leaves, that doesn't find their way, and they come back home. And we pray for our prodigal sons and daughters. And yeah, that, that's a great application because that, that's one way of viewing this. But I'm going to show you another way to look at this context. The father represents God. Because he represents God, it's, it's, it's assumed or it's implied that he is a good, loving, godly man who raised his sons right. The second thing that we see is that there's two raised or grown sons. One is going to live the right life. Uh, we're going to talk about him next weekend. Actually, we're going to come back to this text next weekend. We're going to talk about sibling rivalries because I think it's pretty fascinating. And then, and then, but the other son says, look, you know what? I, I want my share of the inheritance and I'm going to go, peace out, Girl Scout. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. He doesn't really know what he's going to do because the Bible says he gets a share of inheritance, then he decides to leave. And so we've got this too. And then, and notice this, the father lets them go. Both of them. He trusts them because they're raised. He trusts them because he has parented them successfully. He, he has done everything he can to make the will of God the greatest ambition for their life. So he lets them go. And the younger, or the, the bad son, as they said, goes opposite of his upbringing. This is where the prodigal piece comes out. And this is really what people tend to focus on, which isn't wrong. It's just one way of looking at it. Now, I want to say this, because here's what you notice. It becomes a bad season. It's a bad season for the son, because he runs out of money. He squanders his wealth. And he finds himself at the basically hitting rock bottom. It's a bad season for the father. Because as implied later on in, in, in the story, the father finds himself at the end of the road, probably on a regular basis, looking for his son. He's not just there by happenstance. The Bible says he was there and he was looking and when he saw his son a long way off. I love that. It's, it's a picture of how God treats us as his children. But the father never goes to the distant country that the son goes to. He lets him go. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? I've raised them. I've done all I can do to invest in them. The scaffolding of parenthood is over. They've got to now go. What are they going to do? It's like when they rode the bike for the first time without training wheels. Are they going to fall? You've got as much protection on them as you can. I mean, you've got shin guards, knee guards. <laughs> you've got a full arsenal of football apparel on them, you know, and they're only like a foot off the ground. But you know if they fall and they have any scratch or scrape at all that you're going to come running to the aid and you're going to, they're going to cry and you're going to pick them up and, and you're going to kiss it and make it all better. But you realize you can't. And the difficult season for the father is that he's waiting at the end of the road. Wondering where his son is. Again, this is not in the age of Twitter or Facebook or any of that. And he doesn't know. He, he really doesn't understand the context until his son comes back and tells him the story. We know what happens because it's being narrated. But the father doesn't understand. All he knows is that his son is a, a long way off. And I also want you to notice something too. The father represents God. So the father is good. And just because you're a good parent doesn't mean your child is always going to be good. This, we like to think in terms, especially those of us that have a logical mindset, that one plus one always equals two. The problem is a thing called free will. 
And free will, it skews everything. And some of you may be from the, from the deal, well, if you take, give me a, a child and, and that's, that's gone away from God and you let me talk to them, I will find out where the parent made the mistake. Because there's somewhere the parent made the mistake. You may be right. The problem with that theology and that ideology is that if you follow that all the way through, completely through, you've got an issue with God the Father. Because God the Father had a son and his name was Adam. And Adam had the same free moral agency that you and I do, which is the ability to choose right from wrong. And Adam rebels, and Adam walks away and does the opposite of what God says. And if God cannot control his own son, how do you think you're going to control yours? If God, oh, I'm preaching good. If God cannot control his own son, what makes you think Brother Smith or Sister Smith can can control theirs? You can't. So what do you do? I'm so glad you asked. Because if you notice in verse 17, the bad son comes to his senses. And he repents of his sin. How do you know that you're a sinner unless you are taught? How do you know what's wrong unless you know what's right? How do you know that you are not in a good place unless you know there is another way to live? That phrase, brought to his senses, came to his senses, implies the fact that he goes back and he realizes even the, the servants, not the family, but the servants in my father's house live better than this. I've messed up my life. I've sinned. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to repent of my actions to the father and ask him to at least allow me to work somewhere for him. And then verse 20 says, and the bad son goes home. We think of that as home, like home, like our house, like the smell of apple pie. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And pot roast and carrots and potato with some gravy, Mm, right? And some homemade yeast rolls, home. No, 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 no. Home is more of a metaphorical place. Remember, this is a parable. It's a story with meaning. And the characters and, 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 and the places that they go and what happens, they all represent something. And home means he goes back from being in error, back from being in sin, back from being outside of what, he, what the Father taught him to do. And he comes back home. He comes back to his righteous living. He comes back to his values. He comes back to those things. And we all pray, oh God, oh God, please let Johnny come back. Oh, let Susie come back. And I get that. And those of you that have sons and daughters that are far away from God and they're in rebellion, can I just tell you that you have a special place in my heart? Can I just tell you that, you know, I was raised in a house where, where my parents went through that. I, I've been there when, when, when the police descended in the front driveway with three squad cars and, and, and took my youngest brother and slammed him to the ground. I was there when my parents went to try to keep him out of the state penitentiary. I was there. I, I get it. And I go, my heart goes out to you. And thank God I, I have a younger brother who has, who has made some 180s and made some changes and, 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 is, and is back on that journey back. But it's a long, hard road. And there's a lot of introspection. And there's a lot of questions. And there's a lot of things. And there's a lot of guilt. And there's a lot of what ifs. And, and how about this? And, and how does this happen? And why didn't this happen to so-and-so? And why did this happen? And what did we do wrong? But there's a way for those of you that have not yet raised your kids. And you're in the thick of doing that. 
The Bible gives us two major ways in order to help our kids be successful because we cannot guarantee what they're going to do. We cannot choose life for them. But we can impart some things into them that when they get to the end of the road, when they come to the end of themselves, if that's what they have to do to try to figure it out, that they come back home. Isn't that the prayer? And here's what I want to help you with. Is this what Jesus is saying? How to help our children be successful. How to help them. You got to understand a couple things. One, all children are different. All children are different. No two kids are the same, right? Every, different personalities, different makeups, different everything. You know, and, and so because they're different, uh, uh, and, and they, they, they may choose different paths. Because they're different, you can't deal with them the same. Because they're different, you have to kind of tailor um, it, you know, what you're going to do. It's kind of like trying to fish. You, you can't use the same bait with the same fish. You, you, you have to match the hatch. Whatever, whatever the, the, the fish is, then you've got to create the lure in order, to, in order to catch that fish. Same way with your kids. In order to catch their attention, especially as they get older and there's more and more and more things that are playing for their attention, you have to really become strategic in understanding that Johnny and Sally are different. And that they have different mindsets and their brains work in different ways. And one's more left brain, one's more right wing, one's more rigid, one's more creative, one's more uh, out there. Another one's more focused and, and you have to work with that. And, and they're different because they're free moral agents. They may not always choose the right things. We talked about this. Adam and Eve, they had a choice in the garden. John 3.16 says that we have a choice whether we accept Jesus Christ. This isn't rock and sock and robots. But the goal of every parent, this isn't new, you've heard this from me before, but is to teach and to train. To teach and to train. I'd like to say it a different way, but this is what the Bible says. That parenting, that parenthood is all about us teaching and training our children basically to leave. Praise, praise God. And teaching and training them to basically go. Teaching and training them to let the will of God be the greatest ambition for their life. Teaching and training them how to be successful in life. Teaching and training how, how to live this life. So let's talk about teaching. Teaching is about information. And you have to do this. Now, can I just say this to you? This isn't something that's relegated to somebody else. This is something you have to do. Oh, but my kids are in Christian school. <laughs> Really? I'm not against Christian schools, parochial schools, private schools, public schools, whatever. I'm just telling you, nobody's going to do this kind of teaching for your kids but you. Statistics show over and over again, I youth pastored for almost a decade, the number one influence in a teenager's life is their mom and dad. I thought it was their friends or their coach. No, that may be the case because you're absent in their life, but the number one influence in their life is you. They're looking to you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 seven, eight, and nine says this. And these words I command to you today are to be upon your heart, to teach them, as you dil- teach them diligently, which means repeatedly, over and over and over, to your children. And you shall talk about them when you sit at your house, uh, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I'll explain that in a minute. And verse nine says, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is a scripture that I give every time I do a baby dedication because this scripture tells us that we need to teach our children. Now, verse six says there that it's what, what teaching means is this. First of all, is I got to live it as, an, as a parent. I cannot send my kids to church. I have to teach them by my, my lifestyle. He says, let these things be upon your heart. You cannot give people what you don't know. You cannot lead people where you've never been. You cannot reproduce in your kids what you don't have in your life. That's the reason why people, all of a sudden, when they become adults, things come out of them. Like, do you remember when you, those of you that have kids, 
when all of a sudden you're disciplining one of your children and something that your dad or your mom said that you said you would never say all of a sudden just comes out, right? This was my childhood. I'm fixing to light you up like a Christmas tree. You, you better sit down. You better slow down. What does that mean exactly? And where does that come? Am I going to electrocute that child? I didn't know, but I know what it meant. You know what I'm talking about? The reality is, is that we reproduce in our children who what we are. And so you first have to start when you're talking about teaching and say, what's in me? Because what's in you is going to come out. That's scary, I know, trust me. The second thing is talking. Verse number seven says, you're to discuss the word of God. You're to talk about it. Oh, I'm just not real verbal. Well, you better get verbal because I didn't write it. Let's just rewind the tape. You shall teach them diligently, which means over and over and over and over to your children. Don't hire somebody. I'm telling you, somebody said that to me one time. I was talking, and they were talking to me about, you know, about raising kids and about this and that. And they go, well, I'm just going to put my kid in a, in a private Christian school. That way they, they, they learn the Bible. And I laughed. I, it was one of those things I couldn't grab it fast enough to pull it back in. Not that I'm against Christian schools. I'm just going, that's great. But at the end of the day, let me tell you, the number one person that's going to teach your kids is you. And if you're not talking about the Word of God at home, they're not going to get it. They're going to relegate it to some old... I mean, I went to Bible college for crying out loud. And the Word of God said, blah, 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 blah. I mean, most of you, unless you're just like literary nuts, nobody really reads Shakespeare. You don't just go, wow, I was just reading Macbeth the other day. It was fascinating to read to me. I've read it eight times. Some of you do. You're, you're highly intellectual, right? But, but most of us in this room don't. Why? But you did it in high school because you had to do it for a grade. It's the same thing at Christian school. It's not, I'm not against Christian school. I'm just saying it cannot substitute. Don't, don't, don't send me an email going, well, my kid, I get it. I'm not against it. Got it? Everybody got it? Say, say he's not against it. Okay, good, good. We got that cleared up. But I'm just saying you cannot substitute. You have to talk to him about that. If you have children and they're, and they're life kids right now, which is great because they're not really going to learn anything from me. That's why we try to get them into that room because that's where they're going to learn more. Ask them what they learn. And if they're not learning, then find out why they're not learning. But ask them, hey, what did you learn life kids today? Hey, what, did, what, what was the scripture number? Hey, what was it about? Hey, what was it? They give you these little map books. They give you these little things that let you know. Here's what the kids learned. And so they have those. And so you can talk. And if you need to talk, talk to Pastor Kevin or one of the pastors that, that are over, over life kids. And they'll help you with that. You have students in student life on Wednesday night, junior high, senior high. I mean, there's a great student ministry at Germantown campus, West campus, both places. And, um, and the reality is, is that they, you, they're, they're getting taught the word of God in a way in which they can understand it. Ask them about it. Thursday night, Friday night, when you're sitting down there, hey, what'd you learn? Hey, what's going on? Hey, let's just talk about this. You're connecting, learn it. Why? Because you're talking to them about the word of God. Talk to them about what you're learning. You know, that Pastor Aaron, he is so crazy, but he said something. You know, and, and, blah, 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 and just talk. Why? And, and you go, but they don't really look like they're listening. I'm telling you, they're downloading what you're saying and you're teaching them. Uh, the Bible says, verse 8, it says you should bind them as a sign on your hand and on your, and on your front list between your eyes. This is talking about, uh, I'll explain to you what they did, but it's about scripture memorization. What they would do is they would write these, these uh, in essence for us, verses, and they would post them on their hand so that every time they reached for the hand, they would see the commandment, they would see the teaching, they would see the law. 
almost like a watch. And so it became, it became kind of like how a uh, few months ago when we did the bracelets for, uh, for, for the pastor in Zanzibar that, that we took up an offering for. Every time you looked at the bracelet, you were to pray for that pastor. It reminded you. I mean, I think I prayed more for that church than I did for anything this all summer long because I kept looking. I put it right there on my, on my, wa- on my, on my arm with my, with my watch. That's what they would do. It was actually a physical thing they did. This is about scripture memorization. I've had people say to me, how do you just like roll off so much scripture? Where does that come from? Because as a child, I was taught to memorize scripture. I was rewarded when I memorized scripture. It was taught in life kids to memorize scripture. Your kids get a scripture memory verse every single week. If you'll ask them about it, you'll reward them for it. What gets rewarded gets done. Teaching them how to memorize God's word. Why? Because Psalm 119 verse 11, David says, I've hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. You're teaching them. And and verse 9 of this passage says, you shall write them on doorposts of your house and upon your gate. Basically, you're going public with your faith in Jesus Christ. You're living this Christian life out in, in the world. Do your kids know that you serve Jesus Christ by your actions outside of church? I'm not guilting you. I'm just asking you. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm just asking. That's what that verse talks about. They're not going to learn how to live this godly lifestyle out from me or from their youth pastor or their kids pastor. They're going to learn how to live it out from you. How do you live it out on the soccer field? How do you live it out on the playground? How do you live it out at the bus stop? How do you live it out at the neighborhood? How do you live it out at the pool? How do you live it out at the lake? How do you live it out at the cottage up north? How do you live it out on vacation? How does mom and dad live it out? Because remember, you're going to teach them. Your life will teach them. What are you teaching them? So the Bible says we must teach. And teaching is about information. But that's not enough. The second thing is we have to train them. And training is all about application. Training is all about application. This is where we can fall short because we begin to think that teaching is enough. But can I just tell you something? Information doesn't change people. Relationships, people change people. People change people. You're not changed because you have information. That may turn the light on. It may, it may pique your interest, but it's a relationship. Think about it. When you talk about transform, transformative moments, transformational moments in your life, it's associated with a person. It's associated with, I, the, the story always goes like this, and I met someone, or this, this experience happened and it involved someone else, or this is what happened, and, this, and it, it's, it's out of relationship. Discipleship doesn't happen out of information. It, it, it happens out of, out of relationship. And this is where Proverbs 22, verse 6 comes into play. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Not teach up a child, but train. Not just give information, but show application. There's a difference. And because no two children are the same, you've got to make sure that you your application is different. How you teach one child may be totally opposite of how you teach another child. How you motivate one child is totally opposite of how you motivate another child. Same father, same family, same values. The prodigal son, that story that we read, the, the parable that we just read earlier. But had two different paths. 
When you're talking about training, first of all, you have to recognize that there's differences in your children. Don't treat your kids the same. Don't have the same expectations. They're different. The father did not condemn, and we'll read on more about this next week, the bad son or the good son didn't commend one over the other. Matter of fact, we'll talk more about this next week, the good son gets mad at how the father just celebrates the bad son. The father understood. He's got two different boys. He's got two different sons. Same house, same father, same values, different paths. Both wants them to be successful, but the way they get there may be different. Secondly, you've got to recalibrate how you teach and train, which means you've got to look at a timeliness and go, if I'm going to train my child, if I'm going to application, I've got to make sure that, that I am in a timely manner uh, 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 looking for opportunities in which I can put them in these situations or help them understand this. This is where, if you want your kids to know how to pray, they need to hear you pray. Not at church, you. You want your kids to read the Bible, they need to walk in and see you reading God's Word. You, not the pastor, not the youth pastor, not their friend, you. If you want your kids to to be generous with their time, talent, treasure, they need to see you being generous, and you need to sit down and explain that to them. Now, we have no problem when it comes to money or work ethic or any of these other kinds of things doing this, but when it comes to church, we just kind of think, oh, they'll, they'll get it. Really? Did that just how it worked for you? You just got it? No, 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 no. You have to train them. You've got to put them in scenarios. You've got to put them in places. You've got to do this. And can I just help you too? Sometimes too, with your children, it's a situation of sometimes you know better than they know and I don't want to go or I don't want to do and you're going to go, you're going to do. There's no choice. Because sometimes it's the commitment that makes the love that last, not the love that makes commitment last. And let's just all be honest. We all don't want to be at church all the time. And I'm the pastor. There are days where I'm just like, man, it'd be nice to play golf right now. Like, this is fantastic weather. Or (laughs) I'm watching a ball game on television, and I really would just like to sit here and watch this ball game and order some pizza and some wings to the house and let somebody else deal with that. Uh, That's fine, Aaron, but that's your job. Okay, I'll, I'll get cleaned up, and I'll be there in a minute. I mean, you know, there's just times where you have that. Well, the same thing is true of your kids, but it's a commitment that makes the love less, not the love that makes commitment less, and you're teaching them. And so you're training them in how to do that. And then ultimately, you have to release them. You've got to give them to the Lord. Why? Because you dedicated them. That's why we dedicate our children. God, they're yours. Whether they want to go the good path or the bad path. The father doesn't go to the distant country and bring his son home. He releases them. And you go, that's easy for you to say. No, I'm just telling you what the parable said. Uh, this isn't me. I'm just saying what the parable said. So what do you do with grown kids? According to this passage, verse 20 through 24 says, you always look. You're always looking at the end of the road. Why? Because you want to see if what you planted comes to harvest and fruition. And when it does, you recognize it. Hey, you did a good job, son. I'm 40 years old. I know a lot of people. But the person that means the most to me, as far as, as a man, that gives me a, a, a confirmation 
that I'm leading well and doing well is my dad. He calls me on my junk when I'm wrong. I mean, trust me. But it's when he says that. And I don't take that lightly. That's a treasured thing. Because my dad's not one to dole out compliments. My dad's always about, no, don't get to, and and you better watch this. But if you have grown kids, always be at the end of the road looking. That's what the Bible says that the father in the story of the prodigal son did. Always looking. Always loving. That's hard. Yeah, it may be. But when they're grown, there's no more correction unless they ask for it. But they're wrong. Oh, they may be wrong. And they're going to pay for it. Well, they may pay for it. But you've already taught them and trained them. But I, I didn't. Well, you missed your opportunity. See, the role of the the father in the prodigal uh, prodigal son's story, he doesn't address the issues. He just loves him. Because what he understands is, I've already taught my son. I've already raised my son. I don't know what's really happening. I know that he's not the same way that he today as he was when he left. So I'm just going to love him. But they're broken. Just love them. But they don't call home. Just love them. Compassion. It's all you can do. The season for correction is gone. The season for planting is gone. Unless they invite that, that's gone. If they do, thank God. Open up to take the door and the opportunity. But just love them. But I'm scared that my loving them is going to condone their actions. No, it doesn't. You're just loving them. I love people all the time that I disagree with. I love people in this world that I'm diametrically opposed to. I love people, sometimes God loves people through me that I don't even like. Don't look at me so demonious. We all do this. It's called the human race. We all have prejudices and issues and things. But you just love. And love is not acceptance. Love is not a tolerance. Love is not condoning. Love just says, I love you because I love you. It's a choice. But, 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 there's no buts. But they have no shoes on their feet. That's what the Bible says. He has no robe on his back. He smells. He's been living with pigs. He has the stench of sin and all that on his life. Don't I need to address it? No, just love him. What changed you? Love. The Bible says it's not the judgment of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. None of us. The Holy Spirit is the greater, greatest convictor in our life. And he's the one that convicts us. He's the one that leads us into sin and all righteousness. He's the one that points to Jesus. Just love. Oh, but I've taught them and I prayed. Love. Verse 21 says he just listened. Always listen. Doesn't even really respond at that point. He just listens to his son. Never give up. If you have a son or daughter that's far away from God and opposite of the way you raised them, never give up. You can't go to the distant country, 
Just never give up. You, you can't change. Just never give up. But what you can do is always go to the end of the road. Always be looking at the end of the road. Always be there at the end of the road. And when they show up, love them. I'm not saying, say, well, do whatever you want to do, honey. It's going to be okay. You can go to heaven. No, no, no. They're a sinner. They got to make things right. The, the son had to repent before the father. The son had to be restored in the right relationship. The son was in rebellion. It had to be. I'm not playing light on sin, but I'm saying the son knows what to do. Why? Because he's been taught and trained what to do. And all of that comes back. And that comes all the way back to why I'm talking to you with toddlers and infants and little kids. If you don't teach them, who will? Oh, the world will. If you don't train them, who will? Don't relegate that to some Christian education or some youth pastor or some kids pastor or to church. No, that's your job. Your responsibility. And our responsibility as Christian educators, as pastors, and as teachers is to equip you to equip them and to set you up for success. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for every parent to be successful. That they will be able, you'll be able to teach and train your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord that God's will becomes the greatest will for their life. That your child's greatest ambition will be to follow Jesus. And although you cannot determine that, you can equip them. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes at me today? Father, I just thank you today. God, for your word. And I love how the word always works. And I love how your word, how we can look at it from different places and perspectives. And we see in it, God, just nuances and and even a new perspective. Even as I was preparing this week, I preached this this passage many, many, many times, but I've always preached it from a different perspective. But it's just like, boom, there it is. And all the implications of Deuteronomy and all the implications of Proverbs 22.6, it's all there. Because that's what you do for us, is to teach us and to train us in righteousness. So I pray for every parent here today. God, none of us are perfect. And Lord, many of us have regrets, challenges, questions. We're sometimes just crossing our fingers and hoping that what we're doing is working. I pray, God, that you give strength and that you would help us as we teach. Lord, your word says you never put more on us than what we can handle. And that if children truly are a blessing from you, that you've blessed us with them because you knew you could trust us. So let us be diligent, as Deuteronomy says, in teaching our children and in training them. So that, Lord, when they're grown, they won't depart from it. And even if for a season they go their own way, God, that we believe they will come back because the word of God has been hidden in their heart, according to Psalm 119, that they might not sin against you. That there will come that day of coming to their senses and coming to the end of themselves. There will come that day of them coming down that road. And when they do, Lord, let us be there to love them. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, bless every single mom, dad, grandma that's raising children, single parent that's raising children, every single parent, guardian, leader in this room. Help us to teach and train our children so that your will becomes their greatest ambition for their life. In Jesus' name, amen.